We're going to start over with that. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of quiet. Welcome to the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast. A podcast about the art of making films, no matter how small the budget. And now, here are your hosts, Alex Dark and Trevor L. Nelson. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is episode 54 of the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast. I'm Alex Dark. And I am Trevor L. Nelson. And today we're going to talk about the mistakes to avoid making a film that looks cheap. Uh, yeah. You know, like uh, everyone wants to, you know, do their indie film, but a lot of times you can spot if it's indie or if it's, you know, a lot of people want to do it for no budget and sometimes it tells. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. It, so how you to, can tell how, that. How to avoid making it seem like a no budget film. Yes. When in fact yes. you want it to seem like a high budget film, even though you didn't exactly. spend it that much. Money. We've, we've been watching some trailers on some independent low budgets and we've seen some and some shorts and we've seen some hits and misses. Uh, so we thought we'd share it with you guys all so you don't make the same mistakes. But first, Alex, yes. it is balls hot in Los Angeles uh, and Monrovia. What are you what are you drinking? Oh, my gosh. Yes, it is. I am drinking a Stella. Stella. Our toys. Our toys in a can. Um, as we discussed earlier, and I forgot when I bought these, eleven point two fluid ounces. So, oh, what are you doing? Where's that? Where's that point eight? It's one thing to make a can like a Coors Light, which doesn't fit in normal can uh, dispensers and mini fridges, but then to to not even give a full twelve ounces, you're an asshole, Stella. Yeah, what's up with that? You had to like make yeah. that custom can just to save yeah. point eight ounces. Yeah. Um, maybe that's what they're doing. They're charging more and making it up for the can can price with the the, the price. Uh, I'm what stuck with drinking? the uh, the the Miller Light. It's oh, a nice, yeah. cool, refreshing beverage in my Hive lighting koozie. Thank you again, Hive. <laughs> um, so uh, yes. Uh, no, my my Stella cans don't fit in my Hive koozie. I know. Yeah. Neither do Coors Light. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's been hot here. Um, it's true you know it's partially wildfires um there's wildfires all over california so much so that alex is on the cusp of having to evacuate his home that's true i'm on evacuation notice right now warning evacuation yeah. warning yep um you know how'd we'll that warning see. come down text message how'd it come down well first my how'd mom called me um, <laughs> of course <laughs> no, not really um that'd be great i was just reading about it. You know, it's very close. Like I can see it with my own two eyes. <laughs> so I was gotcha. like, "Oh, this is interesting." And then I just yeah. started noticing all the news. And I also have like a yeah, I do have a text alert thing, but it hasn't gotcha. texted me yet saying that I need no. to do anything. It was just like because actually, technically, I'm not in the evacuation zone. Okay. So it's possible that I wouldn't even need to evacuate, even if there were crispy houses around me. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so it's the just, question is, it's just me <laughs> hanging out. You get you you get ten minutes to evacuate. What are you grabbing? <laughs> Probably s'mores stuff. I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the snoo. The snoo. The snoo. <laughs> yeah, you better grab that damn snoo. I think that thing's more expensive than your damn computer. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so it's it's been hot here. It was like 115 in it for a while. Um, it's been, uh, as the French like to say, balls to the wall, hot. Yes, hot, hot, yes hot. it has been. Although, you know, weirdly enough, and this is just a theory, I'm no meteorologist or anything. I don't know anything about meteors. I think... Your name's uh, not Alex Rainclouds? <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> That'd be no, good. Um, I believe the smoke from the fire is making it cooler here because it was supposed to be probably like at least five degrees warmer, if not more. But I think the the sun is going through like a, a thick ND layer before it hits me. Which Look at you. Has been. I don't know. I don't want to say it's been nice, but has been. Look at you. Well, ooh, ooh, ooh tread lightly. Um, not that anybody whose house is burned up is listening to this podcast right now because they have more important things to worry about. But uh, but look at you bringing it back to film. Uh, but I think you're right. I did. I heard that it, at least in downtown it was 20 degrees cooler on Monday because of the smoke. Wow. Um, 20 degrees. And we had like. Yeah, we had ash on patios, uh, and if anyone knows LA, downtown is nowhere near the mountains enough to make you think yeah. you'd see ash, but it's everywhere. I know. Um, I so, woke yeah, so, up. Uh, I woke up, walked outside, and saw my cars covered in ash, and I thought my house was on fire because it was so <laughs> thick and big. 
that I was like, there's no way that that came from that fire way over there. But, You're like, damn, my pregnant wife must be smoking again. Stress is getting to her. She's ashing yeah, on my car. I know. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, so uh, what else is new? Uh, our log line generator that we released for freezies. Everyone's uh, favorite phrase, if you're no budget. Um, got written up in no film school. Yeah. Uh, so we got uh, Thanks, no film press school. for that. Thanks, no film school dot com. Uh, so we got some press for that. So make sure you go on to filmmakingcentral.com to check it out and use it and hopefully sell your scripts. Yes, yes, indeed. And then next, Trevor, your favorite game. Everyone's favorite game, especially fun. Quarantine bot. game. Yep. Um, random question pulled on the from spot. from where? From a deck of questions. Oh, okay. 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 Ready? Yep. Go. Here we go. Neither of us have seen this question, so that's why it's so interesting for everyone involved. <laughs> yes. I'm, okay. I'm scared. Here we go. Mm -hmm. What is something you like that most people don't? Man. Star Wars, um, I guess, is one of them for you. <laughs> yeah, nobody likes Star Wars. <laughs> That would be for you if what's one people th one thing you hate that other people like. Um, <laughs> man, that's a good it. one. I I gotta think of like so. I can think of one for I you. I can't think of one for me. You can think of one for me. What is that? Yeah, Ludafisk. Oh, holy shit! I was actually just gonna talk about that. Nice, <laughs> yeah. nice. Uh, I was gonna preface it by saying I'm uh, my fat ass. Of course, is gonna turn to food. Um, <laughs> but you beat me to it. Holy shit! Way to go! Yeah, we should just be on the newlywed game and answer the questions for each other. Um, yeah, I like Ludafisk. Uh, my grandfather was Swedish, so we'd have Ludafisk around Christmas. Um, I like it. Everyone else hates it. It's like a jellyfish uh, that has been uh, cured in lye. So, uh, sounds delicious. Yeah. People don't like it. I do. Uh, a little white sauce on it. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, I like it. Um, so try it sometime. Um, let's see. If I can think of something that you like that nobody else likes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. What would that be, Trevor? Brie. No. <laughs> <laughs> now that I heard that she listened to our podcast, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Yeah, um, yeah, I am. Sorry, Bree. We all love you. Um, my wife. That's what you you like that nobody else does. Damn, we're just hitting the wives today. Um, wow, you're really going for it today. <laughs> I would say. Couch I would time. say. <laughs> yeah. If your house wasn't on fire, I'd be sleeping there tonight. Um, I would say uh, vignettes, <laughs> which you love. I do love vignettes. That is true. I think other people like vignettes too. I've tried I don't to tone know if they it like down. them to the level that you do, though. <laughs> I've tried to tone it down with the, like I put them in everything still, but way yeah. less. It's like it's like you just got your first grade project to make a pinhole camera, and you're like, oh my god, this vignette is amazing. It does make things um, look cool and old timey. I will say. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to know. try. Ah, uh, no. Everyone likes gin. You love gin. I hate gin. Um, I do what, like gin. What do you like that other people don't? Man, it's tough. I was trying to, I was trying to go back to like movies, like a movie that I really like that nobody else does, but I can't think. I mean, I yeah. just like I all mean, movies. That's that's the thing. I know. Yeah. Um. I would say the red. The, again, hate that everyone else loves the red camera. Um. Mm. Um. I don't know. I, I would say. I would say he. Vignettes. I don't know if people hate them. Yeah. Hey, what? Vignettes. Vignettes. Um, yeah, but... it probably is that. Yeah. I, I think people probably do hate that. I also love lens flares, and I think. But JJ Abrams getting, brought everyone sick of those too. I mean, JJ Abrams brought that to the forefront, so it's obviously not just you. Yeah. I also um, like um, uh, puppy videos. Everyone hates puppy videos. I know, everyone hates those, but I like them. I know. I don't know why there's so many of them on the internet because everyone hates them. Yeah. Um, um, what uh, what kind of food do you like? That I mean, you you like all food. I'm trying to think if there's anything you like that people hate. I mean, it's one of those things. Like lutefisk is so specific. Yeah. What you know? You talked about that. Um, that 
was it jello salad that your grandma makes or somebody in south dakota makes with with mayonnaise in it oh yeah i've never actually had that Did you like that that was uh no. that was a pre-me um not south dakota family treats lime jello with corn in it and mayonnaise on top yeah i've <laughs> never had that um okay yeah yeah okay that's fair. I would say for me, what's probably uh, coming to light here is that I hate more things that other people like <laughs> rather than like more things yeah. that other people hate. Yeah, yeah. You're not, you're not, uh, you just are an angry man. That's what it is. Just yeah. an angry, grumpy old man that yells at things. That's true. Uh, I think so, so yes, I would say that you definitely hate things that people like more than you like things that people hate. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. true. Cool, cool. So we well, saw this was that. a very informative podcast all right that'll do it for this episode that'll do it <laughs> yeah this one was for you funbot um, <laughs> suck it funbot oh man we're gonna have to meet funbot someday and just ask him why he hates us so much i know but won't that be weird when we meet like a robot for the first time like a like an online troll bot yeah that's just we should go look at all other podcasts and you just see funbots on all of them saying i hate this i hate <laughs> yeah. this yeah these guys are drunk yeah, um these guys are it's like it's like, it's like the Mothers Against Drunk Driving podcast. These people are drunk. I was listening uh, for 11 minutes and they hadn't gotten to the topic yet. Uh, um, well, okay. if you know well, 11 minutes, scrub forward a little bit. Scrub 15 minutes. I know. Yeah. Uh, but on to the main topic. On to the main topic. So Alex and I have been watching um, some trailers lately um, for some low-budget stuff, some shorts of some no-to-low-budget stuff, um, and also um, just peruse, you know, connecting with filmmakers at, a lot of these like filmmaking groups are all about people promoting their own projects, which is fine. It's all, you know, promotion isn't, there's nothing wrong with it, but we've noticed a lot of things that people do where they're like, Hey, check out my project. This is awesome. What do you tell me what you think? And these are the things that me and Alex always go back to each with each other back and forth about, Oh man, they got to do this. Got to do that. This looks bad. Yeah. Um, for me right off the bat, like before I even get to the trailer of the project, um, it's a, the production company card or logo. Um, you know, people yeah. do like, think of like bad robot, um, you know, how they have that little robot running through the, the field and all that. Like that's the production company card and logo. And there are some really bad ones out there. Um, and you know what? I get it. It's, it's expensive to hire a graphic designer to design it. Um, but that to me immediately when I see that, I'm like, okay, this is like, if that is one thing you should spend money on, it's because you're going to use that card in front of every movie that you do. Uh, granted right. you can... You, you can make it better later. Um, you know, Bad Robots started out with just an image and then they created the animation and all that. Lionsgate had a shitty one and then all of a sudden they had that cool 3D going through the gate. Um, but like, at least do one that looks, like hire a graphic artist to do a good one here's, still here's graphic. My, here's my thought. Like, at the very least, get mm -hmm. a, a designer to design you like a, a good logo. Like, yeah. period, right? Like, cause it all starts with like a good logo. If you have a good logo, you can just like fade it on and off and yeah. that's fine. It doesn't need to be animated. But yeah. if you have like a crappy logo already, or just like one that looks amateur or like clip arty or whatever, then MS paint, MS painty, then you're going <laughs> to, um, you know, you can't really do much to make it better anyway. So yeah, start off with a good logo, fade it on, fade it off. Just on doesn't black. need to be animated. Yeah, you're good. You know. um, because that's the first thing that people are going to see a lot in tra before trailers or before your movie. And you know what? It's a petty ass industry, and a lot of people, uh, including me, will just discount your movie right off the bat if they see something that's really, really hand drawn kind of thing. It's true. I've literally, um, um, you know, we have uh, Shutter, Shutter, the, yeah. uh, the horror subscription service, and some of those are you know lower budget and indie indie horror movies, which is cool. Um, but there was definitely a time where I was setting out to watch one and I forget what movie it was, but, um, the logo came up and it was so bad that I, my initial reaction was like, Oh no, have I made a mistake in choosing this movie? <laughs> you know, because it does, I mean, movie. it is the, the very first impression, Yeah. even though it seems stupid. Cause it's just like your company logo, but it is the first yep. thing that people see. So why not yep. make it good? Yeah, exactly. And like I said, it's going to be used. If you come up with a good one, you'll use it for a long time. I mean, uh, you're going to use it for a bunch of shorts, a bunch of features, a bunch of trailers. So why not take the time or just 
you know, do a gig and take some of that money if you if you can front it in these crazy times and and hire somebody to make a really good logo because it's going to be with you for a while until you get more money to if you animate it or make a better one. So that yep. that to me, first thing they see if it's a bad logo graphic, uh, it's a turn off and it makes it look kind of like cheaply made. I agree. I agree. The next one for me is lighting. Uh, it's you know, it's just hard to get past it if there's really bad lighting. Um, and I, think- and I want to preface this by saying that, like, I know we're the no budget filmmaking podcast. And so don't think that when we say bad lighting, it's like, like they're using cheap equipment. Like you can get good oh, yeah. results from cheap equipment. It's not like we're expecting you to have a 12 K Ari like to flood the windows. And if you don't, it's going to look cheap. No, it's just what you do with the equipment that you have. Right. And I think it comes down to, it, it's kind of like lighting and camera work together as one. Yeah idea because you have mm-hmm. sort of like this idea of the light falling off and how whether you have just like all hard light and like a or unmotivated light um you know hard light when it should yeah. be soft or soft light when it should be hard and um you know not having like having clipping a lot of clipping where where the hot spots are just like overexposed completely and there's no sort of like gradient fall off um, cause you don't have like a lot of dynamic range or maybe you've shot, um, in rec 709 and there's just no, and you've tried to like, you've overexposed it and you're trying to like fix it in post and it's just not working. And so you have these kind of like yeah. harsh banding or like, um, um, just a lack of, you know, colored data and gradients and all that kind of stuff. Um, and a thing that I definitely notice is that like they will overexpose the whole room or they'll, they'll light oh, yeah. the whole room and then they'll blast the actors with light and then you get this really bright background that still has shadows falling on it it's like oh yeah man, like totally like that, i mean come on yeah i mean an overlit background is kind of like number one sign because to me it's a sign of you don't have really control over the the location you know because what you would want to do is shut off all the lights or yeah. have control over the lights that are in there and maybe like switch out tubes for um, color correct tubes and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you have overhead and fluorescent lighting or whatever. Uh, but basically, if you have just like a, an entirely lit room that doesn't have any sort of like texture or anything, it's just like a flatly lit room. It just means that you didn't have any control over it, or you just didn't take the time to do it because I don't know, maybe you didn't know or whatever. But that also leads to another thing that is also like semi-camera, semi-lighting is like a lack of depth. Yeah. You know, because I think um, the same thing with having just a flat, overly lit background. Um, If you don't create depth between your characters in the background, whether it's actual depth, you know, and depth of field and all that kind of stuff, or with shadow and light, um, that is also kind of a, a telltale sign of an amateur production. Yeah, and, and don't think you, you have to do like film noir where it's like super dark in the background and super light in the, in, in, in the foreground. But I'm just like looking around my place right now and I have, you know, an overhead light and like another light. Um, and it's, you know, there's pockets of dark. Like my my kegerator is in the dark. You can still see it, but it's not, you know, lit. Um, like people yeah. seem to think that they need, they need all the details to be lit so that you can see everything. And it's definitely not the case. Uh, you just got to take a little more time to make sure you're lighting correctly. And, and yes, it's hard to do that when you're on, you have no budget and you're on a crunch for time, but it's, well, it's something that will help. Totally. And I also think that, um, it comes down to the point that filmmaking is about, highlighting the things that you want highlighted in the frame, like showing the audience what you want to show them. And yeah. oftentimes it shouldn't be everything. Yeah. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's like a surefire way to get people distracted and looking at things that they're not supposed to be looking at and then wondering, Oh yeah. What was I supposed to be? What are they doing now? <laughs> yeah. um, Unless so it's th- a plot point, don't bring focus to it. Like it doesn't matter what's in their bar. Uh, yeah, behind so them, even, unless they're going to kill somebody with that thing later or, you know, right. bash somebody over the head with the bottle. And so even in spaces where traditionally you think it's just flatly lit and everything's lit like an office, right? You just think that overhead lighting is lighting everything. And even if that's true, 
you would want to um, make the character stand out from that background. So whether that means um, lighting them in such a way where they are what you're exposing for and the background is down like a couple stops, even though it's mm -hmm. even, yeah, it's like down so that um, the actors stand out a little bit or whether it's with yeah. production design, which is another thing that we're going to talk about, but yep. um, you know, just creating like some kind of separation between your characters in the background, that's huge. But going back to what you said about the shadows, to me, if I see multiple shadows, it really bothers oh, me. Yeah. Um, uh, and what, what we're talking about is like a character has a shadow over their right shoulder of them of their silhouette and over their left shoulder at the same time, which you know they they have two lights pointing at them and both are blasting enough that uh, you can they see the are uh, you can see the shadows, both shadows. Yeah, and I think in most in most scenarios that's not what would happen. Um, no. And and if it was, you'd want to kind of establish ahead of time what it is that's doing that for you know because like if you're just in a room and there's there's a chandelier over your head or whatever like one light source and then all of a sudden there appears to be two or three shadows on the wall that are actually from your film lights it it's kind of a i don't know a no-no in my mind yeah uh, and and as we talked about, I think in the last podcast or the one before that, it's like it, there's got to be motivation for what you're doing, and and so there has to be a motivation for you to have two shadows. Because if you don't have two shadows, if if you don't have the motivation, then it just looks like lazy filmmaking. But if you can explain why there's two shadows, maybe there's multiple lights, or there's two windows coming in, and like you know, if you show a motivation, it makes sense and it doesn't look lazy. It's just that a lot of people, times people are just doing it to get the shot off as quickly as possible, and it doesn't look good. Yeah, and then going on with lighting a little bit more, uh, underexposure, which I can frankly say that I had uh, a lot of experience with <laughs> early on, <laughs> um, because to me, underexposure made it, and using natural light and underexposing it kind of made it seem grittier or whatever, uh, yeah. back in the old mini-DV days, uh, or even like the early 5D. Dating yourself. Um, yeah. yeah. But... There's a way to create, like, just being underexposed is not dramatic, right? It's just yeah. poorly lit at the end of the day. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you want, again, you want the audience to be able to see what they're supposed to see. And there's nothing worse than having a dramatic moment happening and you're, like, squinting at the TV trying to figure out what's going on because <laughs> it's all dark. Um, and And again, like... Don't think that that means you have to spend a lot on lights. Cameras these days are, are relatively a lot cheaper than they were used to be and handle low light much better. So don't think that we're like, oh, you got to spend on a whole five-ton grip package, grip and lighting, G&E package. No, you just got to be able to, you know, smartly use the lights you have, bounce yeah. it, um, use the camera uh, that has really good low lighting if, you're, if you can't get the lights you want. Um, there's ways around it that you don't have to spend a ton of dough. Yeah, and I think having... Um having the light come from the opposite side of the, whatever you're shooting. Um, so off camera, basically the off camera side um, is kind of, you know, it's not a rule, but in general, especially if you're doing dark stuff, um, just having like a little backlight to sort of create an edge around whatever it is. So you can at least separate again, it's about separating things and like yeah. having people understand what, um, what things are. If you have just like total darkness and everything kind of like blends into together and you just have no sort of detail in what's going on, put a backlight uh, behind whatever the object is, whether it's a person or a prop, and create a little bit of separation so at least you can see what you're supposed to be looking at. Um, and, and, and don't be afraid. It's not going to make your like desirable low-lit scene look like it's overlit or over exposed or like weird lighting it, it just it if it's not there it's more noticeable than if it is there yes agreed yep 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 Again. and then uh there's the overexposure when people get a lot of lights and they they just yeah. like you know this kind of comes to our like just a lot of front you know, lighting is what happens front lighting the double shadows is from over lighting because you have two lights on your main subject. Um, it's, it's, this is the, what I see a lot of where they, they're afraid that they're good. Things are not going to be seen that they want you to see. And so they just blow 
blow out the whole scene to make sure you see everything. And like I said, the eyes, the eyes are good at picking up on stuff. If you want them to see it, they don't have to be blown out. Um, they can pick up on good detail in the low light. Yeah. And I also, when I was first starting with cinema, I remember taking the cinematography class in, in college and yeah. you know, they taught three point lighting or whatever. And so I thought three point lighting was the, the deal, right? Like that's what you did yeah. all the time. And it's just not true that you just don't, you know, sometimes it's one point lighting yeah. <laughs> and that, that's just it. Um, but the, that caused me to overlight so much like this concept that it's, it's, um, supposed to be three point lighting. You're supposed to have like a key light and a fill light and a backlight. And then maybe yeah. sometimes a background light and like all these yeah. things, like these core concepts that are great to know, like it's good to know those. And, but you kind of have to have the context to know that, uh, how it actually works in reality when it comes to narrative, you know, um, a lot of times three point lighting is what you use. Um, and you dial it in, in such a way, but it doesn't have to be so. And a lot of times it doesn't look best, uh, because it yeah. is very sort of, um, cosmetic, I guess, or there's, mm -hmm. um, it's not natural looking a lot of times because, you know, most of the time people aren't lit by three lights. Yeah. No, yeah, totally. Totally. Um, uh, so I mean, it, it, again, it goes to back to the idea of like, you got to know the rules before you break them. So the basic lighting is three, three point lighting, but once you get that down, it's like break away from it and you, and, and have some fun. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that sometimes multiple points come from one light, you know? So like the key light yeah. can also create a backlight if it's bouncing off of something behind you or whatever, you know? So like, or, or, um, a key light can wrap around a person enough to where they don't need a fill per se, because you want that, um, you want that, contrast ratio between you know the key side and the shadow side of their face yeah because um, they maybe there is a chandelier that's all the way at the other side of the room so that the strong lights coming from the right side of the camera left but the right side of the subject so right um or maybe yeah. there's a practical uh, like this guy yeah yeah that are hitting me on well people can't see that on the podcast but you'll you'll get what i'm saying um yeah, yeah. there's practical sometimes then watch the video create, guys if you want to know uh the effect that you want um, but then also going into moving into, uh, another realm of camera work. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We talked about this kind of like the trends in filmmaking. I feel that this might be part of the, the, what we talked about in the last podcast where people are doing things based on what's cool in the major motion pictures, but I think so. But one thing that really, it, it bothers me every single time. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I guarantee I've talked about this in other podcasts too other episodes um because it really does bother me um maybe bakes DSLRs, it really does bake my beans it does okay all right um yep. you know bushes yeah baked beans <laughs> roll that beautiful bean footage okay continue dslrs fun bot is gonna kill us are i know <laughs> are tiny yeah and they're super light and they yep. don't have the same feeling as a real movie camera because mm -hmm. movie cameras have weight and uh -huh. um, they move very slowly and smoothly and methodically, you know. And when you have such a lightweight little camera that is tiny, it doesn't take a lot for you to sort of bump it. And like when, you, when you're moving, even with a shoulder rig or whatever, it has this very sort of abrupt, like I'm a tiny camera uh, movement to it that isn't the same as if you had a giant camera on your shoulder, you know? Yeah. Like you can move things much tighter on like the nodal point of the camera, uh, because the camera is so small versus having a big camera that's going all the way over your shoulder. Mm -hmm. Um, it just moves differently. End of rant. But, <laughs> but with I, DSLRs, you could you could do playback. So you should play back before you move on to the next scene because another take isn't going to be the end of the world. It's not going to slow you down that much. But if you have the only good take you have is a shaky camera, that's going to stick out and be like, hell no. Definitely. And another part of that too, the same issue in my mind, is that these lens mounts that were made for still cameras weren't really made for video. And so they're not 
they don't have that like positive lock like the PL mount positive lock mount like has it's mm-hmm. like this very tight sort of mount onto the camera and it's not going anywhere but yeah. these Canon Sony mounts, E-mounts. They, have, they have especially if you're using an adapter like if you have a micro oh. four thirds mount and yeah. you're adapting to a Canon or something there's a little play in the lens and so when you go to do focus or just touch the lens or whatever you get this like knock and it it just bumps and it kind of like jolts a tiny bit even and it just it, to me it's like a dead giveaway that it's not yeah. you know like a professional camera system from that even just movement right there now i would say that if you have no other option and you're so pressed for time there's you know there's stabilizers in post it won't fix everything but it will help um Especially, I'd rather see somebody use a stabilizer, like a warp stabilizer in Premiere, than just go through with a scene that has an, a camera knock. Um, just, yeah. it's not, it's not great. Um, and there's ways you could do it in post if you just don't have the time. You don't have the time to take another shot, do another take, or you don't have the money to get a good camera with lenses, which not everybody has. But you could do some things in post. It just, which makes it even more infuriating when it's still there because it looks like people are are lazy or cheap. Um, and you know, you may, you may be cheap out of, it's out of your power. You have to be cheap because of how much money you have behind it, but it's also lazy just to leave it there and not do anything about it. Either take a new take or fix it in post, which it's pretty easy to fix it in post these days. Um, and if I see that and we've seen it in some, you know, some higher budget shorts, it's, it's boggles my mind why it's still there. I know. And and also, There are um, things you can do, you know, just again. Okay. So yes, DSLRs are small, which is, which is handy and convenient in a lot of ways. And doing something to make it seem bigger seems counterintuitive because it goes against the reason you bought the thing in the first place, right? Because you want this small thing that lets you just run around and um, do whatever you want and, like take it to weird locations where you shouldn't really have a camera and like all these different things, but doing things like having a shoulder mount and putting a sandbag on your shoulder to really like make sure it's not moving uh, off your shoulder and floating away or like doing some strange movements. Or I know that they even make some camera mounts, uh, some shoulder rigs that mimic the size and shape of a cinema camera or like a broadcast you know, just like over the shoulder, like a Lexus style camera. I think one, mm-hmm. one was made out of wood. Even it was called like Ergo Cine or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just this sort of like wooden camera shaped thing that you stuck um, your DSLR on, and you could use you know the rosette mounts to have handles come off it and it had rods, um, so you could mount accessories and stuff. But it just gave it this feeling of the size. And weight of a of a normal cinema camera, which makes for easier Helps. operating uh, yeah. when you're doing that type of cinematic stuff. Yep, yep, yep. Um, also, um, focus camera. We're talking about camera work. Focus in and out of focus. Again, unmotivated. Like it looks like an accident. Uh, you know, I know that it's hard to get a camera operator in there or somebody to pull focus on things, but work around that. Uh, don't just, you know, people moving in closer and away from the camera and getting in and out of focus. No bueno. Um, well, it also, it's motivated. Kinda, it also kind of ties into lighting, right? Because people yeah. shoot wide open on these things to try to like get as much light in as possible. But yep. what they don't account for is that that creates such critical focus. The focal yeah. plane is so, so slim that it's literally you know, like a millimeter on someone's eye. And if they just bobble slightly, they're going in and out of focus. If they act, then they're screwed. Exactly. And so what you would normally want to do is not not shoot wide open, you know. Yeah. Um, Get more lights in there so you can stop down and create a a wider focal plane so that there's a little bit more room for actors to to do their thing and operators to do their thing. So they don't have to worry so much about sticking focus every time. Um, and actors will definitely thank you if you have if you don't have to tell them to stay in a specific spot that's so specific it's impossible to stay in. Yes, I've been on those shoots, and oh, it is it's brutal. It is frustrating. It's brutal for everyone. Yeah. Um, yep. So you know, 
there are times where you have to do it. I get it. Um, yep. But don't do it for the whole movie, and yeah, don't do it over and over and over again. Like maybe maybe one time if you have to. I get it. Yep. But. Yep. And what else we got in camera work? Um. Well, we we talked about the death, but I also yeah. There's um something about composition and camera angles and stuff. Um, I think for a lot of us who have, who are familiar with, uh, photography, who have done photography or who have been shooting a lot, uh, the idea of composition comes pretty easy and you get it and mm -hmm. you, you can see good composition in movies and say, Oh yeah, I like that. And then kind of dissect why you like it and re recreate it. But for, yeah. for people that aren't familiar, I think it, it's a lack of composition is a dead giveaway that yeah. uh, a movie is, it just appears cheap and uh, unprofessional when and quickly made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even, even when it comes to sort of like the basics of filmmaking, right? Like you do your wides, your over the shoulders and stuff like that. And having kind of like a weirdly, like one over the shoulder angle is fine. And then the, the opposite over the shoulder is weird and doesn't match. Um, yeah. maybe it's, it's like a different, uh, um, you know, it's a little tighter than the other angle. And there's no reason why it just is not, uh, you, you didn't think about it and it just kind of looks strange after the fact in my mind. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And again, all this can be, explained if it's motivated if there's a reason for it like if you want somebody to be uh larger in the frame for a reason to show like you know dominance or to show like you know a lower angle to look up at somebody just so that you could show that the the person talking has a dominant uh role over the 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 other character that's fine but sometimes it's like there's just like such a weird composition change between shot reverse shot that it, it makes no sense um, and i also and think it, that uh, people a lot of times will try to pull that type of thing and say like, mm -hmm. oh, it was, it was like my artistic vision or whatever. And I think you can do that when the rest of your movie looks like a real movie. You mm -hmm. know? And yeah. you can say, okay, yeah, like I chose to do that. That was my choice, like artistically. And yeah. like the rest of it is a solid uh, movie. Everything makes sense compositionally. It's like lit well. And I did this thing to like as a choice, but if everything's yeah. messed up, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> it's you hard can't to get away then, with saying you that. Can't then go and say like, "Oh yeah, that was my choice." Like, yeah, totally. I crossed the yeah. line on purpose because yeah. I was doing artsy things, and it's like, well, did you or do you not know what that is? Because it doesn't seem like you know. There's a line, right? Are. And I can't cross it. Like, yeah, I was watching something the other day, in fact, and I can't think of what it is. As That's per usual, we don't wanna, all my days are blending together, in. Trevor. I know. It's, it's all one It's Thursday. It's Thursday, the 32nd. But I was watching something where it's two. it was two girls like looking at each other, um, laying down. Mm -hmm. And they cut back and forth. And in the edit, on screen, they were in the exact same spot when the cuts were made. So like... They didn't switch, so it didn't look like they were looking at each other. It looked like it was cutting, and the second person was in the same exact position. Like, it almost, it was hard to... Like, the um, background was the same? No, but just, like, you know how when you when you do cuts to people talking to each other, they're usually facing off the opposite uh, direction, so it looks like they're looking at each other? Yeah, one looks screen left, one looks screen right, that kind of thing. Yes, and in this case, both were looking screen right. And both were framed the exact same. So, oh, I know what it was. It was Hana, the movie. Really? Yeah, great movie. Love that movie. And so Love that, that to movie. me, that to me was one of those instances where I was like, oh, he chose to do that because everything else is great. But and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that. Yeah, but, I'll give him the um, benefit of the doubt. But that's an easy like if if it's coming to that, just flip the damn flip it in post. <laughs> like, I know it was it was strange. I'm not gonna lie. And they do that a lot. You'll notice that like like birthmarks will move on people and be on the other side because yeah. you'll see that they've they screwed up it. and they flip it. But like, I get like I I give them the benefit of the doubt because that movie's great. So that's just weird. I guess I never noticed that. Yeah, I hadn't noticed it either. 
But on rewatching it, we saw that in the theater when it came out, and I think I didn't realize how many strange things he did, you know, yeah. camera wise, editing wise. He did a lot of strange stuff in that movie, which was really cool. Um, yeah. Anyway, he knew the rules yeah. in order to break them and decided to break. Yep, exactly. So on the next in color. So one big thing that you'll notice a lot is strange skin tones. You know, everyone knows what skin looks like. Um, yes. And and yet, like when they do odd, weird lighting, which is fine, they the skin tones get really weird. But in like big movies, and I say like um, only God forgives where the neons. Mm-hmm. of Winfred was like crazy the skin tones weren't crazy they were accurate to like what yes the neon that was lighting him and i think what happens too is in movies in like real movies where they do that and and it is like a full-on color and yeah. every, the skin is like they only do that for a little bit because it's hard to watch yeah. i think um and so they'll come in and out of that type of situation where They'll be walking through lights and their their whole face will become red or whatever. Or it'll be for like a short part of the scene. Or the light will be sort of like moving and like doing some type of like pulse. I don't know. But I think it's pretty rare that um, a filmmaker will just completely lose all of a character's skin tone for an entire scene. Uh, because yeah. it's supposedly like under some type of light. Usually yeah. what will happen is you'll light the actor with, um, I don't know, like a tungsten light or whatever on their face, get the skin tone, and then the, the strange light, whatever the color is, blue or whatever, will be on one side of their face. So mm-hmm. you get the sense that they're under that light, and and or maybe it'll be backlighting them or whatever. Yeah. So you you have the motivation of that color, and it's hitting them, and you're able to use it on their skin, but it's not taking over their skin so that they look sick or, or I don't know, out of place, like they're underwater or something. If the whole scene is blue yeah. and you have no color, mm-hmm. like tonality differences between things. Which, which goes back to our lighting about contrast. Like if you, if you don't have the contrast, it just looks weird. Yeah. Um, and the contrast and lighting of like, if the whole thing is blue for a long time, it's going to look like a mistake or... It is. And I think it also seems fake, right? It doesn't seem like lighting anymore. It seems like you just took a blue and like overlaid it on top of an image. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like in post. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem. It doesn't look like a choice. It doesn't look like a real scenario, like a real scene or like a real location or something. It just looks weird. Yeah. And, And maybe that works in certain movies, but for the most part, it just looks lazy and like they're trying to be different for no real reason. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, this is, I think, come out of the, the, the DSLR age is the uh, oversaturated reds and magentas. Yeah, um, particularly in skin tones, I think. Uh, yep. Skin tones are hard to nail, I'm not going to lie. Uh, sometimes yep. it, can be, it can be difficult, especially, I mean, those early um, black magic cameras had like a real weird magenta. Mm-hmm. And it was hard yep. to get rid of. And it, it made everything look strange. Um, I think Canon still have their magenta. Uh, Canon lean. does lean magenta as well, mm-hmm. and so getting that out, you know, other yeah. cameras lean green. I mean, and it also is strange if if it's left in. I know Reds kind of lean green, and Panasonic uh, does too a little bit. But I think um, it's you got to be able to take whatever you have in camera and normalize it. And yeah. most of the time, I think that's possible and not that difficult. But for some reason, I don't know why, every time I had to deal with those uh, early Blackmagic cameras, it was really hard. Oh, and also the um, the Osmos. I mean, ours... I oh, my was, God. Ours was, like, messed up. I don't know what happened. Yeah. I think we got, like, a faulty one. But, like, it was impossible to color that thing. That thing was... Oh, God. That was, And if you didn't color it in camera, it, you were screwed. Like, coloring screwed. it in post... Yeah, absolutely screwed. If we didn't put those uh, presets on it, that Osmo was a POS. Garbage. 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 Um, so on the next thing, sound. Yep. Sounds a big uh, sounds a big thing that it, it's tough. Sound is a tough thing. Like it's, Sound is one of those things that we said if you have the money, like the first thing you should get is, is, is a sound guy on set. Like it's yeah. just, uh, it's so, it's so like important for the overall 
sound of the film for the, and the look of the film, I was going to say, but the overall quality of the film is the sound. Um, you know, uh, bad audio could be, you know, kill you. Um, and it's just, you know, uh, no room tone or the, you know, you're trying to run audio at the same time. And it just was like really shitty. Um, it, it, bad audio can really ruin a movie. Um, totally. And you see it a lot where they have bad audio and then they go to try and do clean audio and it doesn't match. So you get, you get your voice over your uh, ADR recordings and it's like this really gritty raw audio. And then all of a sudden it comes really clean and may, it may yeah. match the, the, the actor's <laughs> lips on screen, but it sounds so crisp compared so to different. everything else. It's so startling. different that you're, you're yeah. like, okay, like, come on. Like you got to still, like if you're going to go with the, the most of the movie being with this kind of audio, then you got to match your voice over your ADR to that. So it doesn't stand out so much. I agree. And it is a lot of these things are things that you might think like no one no will notice that, you know, like yeah. the normal, the average person. But I do think for the most part with these types of things, uh, people even not in the film industry, not aware of, of different techniques can, there's like an uncanniness to it that yeah. um, it's just strange or it seems odd or out of place or whatever. And it just, even if they can't quite put their finger on it, that's why I think there really is sort of like an indie um, audio sound. It's yeah. because, and you, you can't, I can't at least, I'm sure like an audio professional could explain it perfectly. Like what, what is going on that makes this sound so weird compared to, to uh, professional things. But uh, for people that aren't sound professionals, they still know it's weird, but they can't exactly. quite put their, can't put their on finger it. on it. They can't, they can't give the technical term, but they're just like, that's kind of off. Yeah. And I do think for me, especially like the, the, the ADR, um, when it's, when it's super clean, a yeah. but then also, um, it sounds not just clean but like fuller. It has like this yeah. richness to it that the <laughs> and you're like, like what, the, what is happening? The bass or treble is not matching, and all of a sudden yeah. the verse person's like two words in the sentence are bassier than the rest of the sentence. Yes. It's like whoa. And for some wow. reason, even if it's spot on with his mouth, his lips having that extra like richness when it shouldn't be seems like makes it seem like he's not, it's not quite on. Yeah, Exa no, exactly. It, I was, we were actually watching a video. I was actually watching a video cause we were having some technical difficulties with this and this guy and it, 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 he did it on purpose. He was doing like, okay, so now I'm doing the microphone through my computer and I'm about to switch it to the mixer and all of a sudden, boom, he switched to the mixer and it sounded rich, robust and full. And I was like, okay, he's dubbing this because it just completely changed and yes. it doesn't match it. There's no way it matches. It did. It was fine, yeah. but he was just showing how the quality was different with a mixer. And that switch mid sentence was like, wait a second, that's not real. That's totally. you're fake. You I recorded think, this. I think also in that same way, um, Foley in indie movies, if it's not mixed properly, can be really distracting. And it's it also has that like it's way too hot a lot of times, but also mm -hmm. it's um it does have that same sort of like crispness and like this yeah. was recorded in a professional studio, whereas everything else was recorded out um, on a location. And so it has like a, such a different quality to it. And when it's mixed, uh, so it doesn't like blend really well, it's just kind of like separate and you can really hear yeah. it. It sounds strange. You get a lot of the, the footsteps. One that always comes to mind is Ryan Johnson's brick. Uh, movie. There's a lot of weird footsteps in that movie with um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt running around in his penny loafers. And it's just like, it sounds like he's tap dancing while yeah. he's running around. Um, the infamous Joseph Gordon-Levitt cousin of John Lovett. Yeah, Yep. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and that just comes down to the master mix. Like once once you get your movie done, if you, it, to make, it, again, and, and some of this stuff costs money and that's just, you know, it it sucks, but to get a, a master mix where the levels of everything are good and the, the quality is good and your Foley is good, um, that, that really shows if you don't, um, you know, take the time to put in the care and effort uh, with your master mix at the end of the movie. You want to make sure everything's correct. Your, your, you know, your wind, your leaves rustling in the background aren't too loud. Or your, like you said, your footsteps aren't completely off from what the person is. 
Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Uh, and, and audio, I think, is one of those things that's going to be the quickest thing to get you uh, in trouble when it comes to distribution. Oh, absolutely, you know? absolutely. And then, and, and not in talking about Foley. Sometimes, like the the sound effects are mismatched. Like maybe the feet don't match up with the walking or. You know, you have oh, yeah. background chatter that's a little too clear or a little too loud, or you know, oh, yeah, the totally. uh, like the the cell door closing isn't exactly on point. It's like, guys, you can see it and you can easily match it in post. Yeah. Like, like if if the sound effects don't match, you know, uh, then you're um, you're 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 screwed. Uh, it's just gonna take everyone out of it. If the, if, also- they, if that door closes a second. Before the sound closes, like a millisecond before the sound of the door closes, it, it you're done. You're screwed. You're done. Totally. And also, I think um, it's easier than you would think for at least someone who's aware. I don't know about um, non-filmy people, but to notice what sounds like a stock effect, you know? Yes. If, if it's like someone's swinging a punch and you have this <laughs> type of thing, <laughs> yeah. and it just like is an effect. It's it's like a sound that comes on and stops and it's like a yeah a two second sort of like effect and mm-hmm. you just lay that in it just sounds weird i don't know you can like you can sense these sort of like stock sounds sometimes yeah uh we saw one that had a uh, well i saw one that had a cell uh a jail cell door closing and it was like the heavy door is like that and this was not a heavy door it would you know it was a it was um, and I'm going to add this to it is like, this goes to actors and like, if you're going to have the heavy door sound, have the actor act like the door is heavy. Like sometimes actors <laughs> are just like, cause you're using a, a, a set and maybe we'll go onto this next, uh, in terms of product production design, but like you got these sound effects of this loud, heavy door and it's just a light door or like this. Yeah. And I think that, and that it's comes like down to the director, door. you know, the director True. knowing yeah. that he wants it to be like a big, heavy door on the yeah. on the day and directing the actor to do that because a lot of times you know props and sets they don't have the same feeling or like weight or yeah. whatever so you got to direct that um, um or it's also it's also on the guy who's doing your master mix and doing your foley and your sound effects it's also up to them to uh know that this door doesn't look heavy so don't get a heavy sound effect especially yeah. if it's a stock stock audio like you're saying but like it you know it's this big heavy like penitentiary door and it was just this small little like county jail door that they closed and i was like okay that's not the same thing come on um and so yeah watch out for the sound effects you know you know rustling bags uh you know it's it doesn't have to be that loud like just just watch your levels on sound effects another one is that i've noticed a lot are when the characters are wearing like a track suit and it has that sort of like when they they're walking or whatever and that sort of like vinyl nylon-y sound um yep and that's just way over and sometimes it's great because it's comedic or whatever and the characters you can get a lot more away with audio and comedic things because it's like to emphasize the comedy but like like I mean, like on the Royal Tenenbaums, they all wore tracksuits, and they they talked about that. Or that episode of Seinfeld where the suit was supposed to uh, like brush and make those noises when he was walking. But for the most part, it just put it so low in the background. Oh, you don't even like, you don't really need it. Like, you, if you need some sound, put it low, low, low. Yeah, it's got to just be mixed by a, a real deal professional. Because let's be honest, I mean, that's something know. that we would put all of our money into would be a, a yeah. sound professional when if we if we were doing uh, a short. Um, and finally. Production design and locations. Yeah, I mean this is this is a tough one because with when you when you're talking about um, no budget films, low budget films, you oftentimes are using what you have, which is mm-hmm. great, and you should definitely do that. But there's, um, I think a lot of times you th- you feel like there's nothing you can do about it. Like you have this room that's just all white walls, and yeah. there's like nothing going. Mm-hmm. But you can do things about it. Um, it's going to take effort and money, yep. a little bit of money. But one thing you could do in that example is temporarily put up wallpaper, um, you yep. know, just with like a little sticky tack, uh, gummy adhesive, like removable stuff. Um, yeah. So that it stays up. You have like 
a texture on the wall. It's not just white, uh, but yep. you can easily remove it. You're not damaging your friend's house or whatever I mean, that you're using. Not even, not even uh, freaking wallpaper. Put some pictures up. Hang some pictures with like uh, those 3M like no mark like hanging things. Like just yep. hang some stuff in the background instead of just using what you got. I mean, like you can go to Goodwill and get pictures for like a dollar, and it doesn't matter what's in it. Um, totally. Just but but like the lack thereof would be bad. And on to like, you know, cheap locations is just like, you know, like utilizing, making a, a bedroom into like, like a kitchen just because that's all you have or something like that. You know, it's like people try and futz it as much as they can. And I applaud that. But at, there comes a point where it's going to be completely obvious that whatever you are trying to make, it just doesn't look like that. And also, I think with that, when it comes to big budget movies, everything is thought through right yeah so mm -hmm. you have a location even like if that location is great sort of architecturally but it doesn't fit with the color palette the the art department will come in and they'll like paint or they'll add they'll really put up wallpaper or they'll do whatever it takes yep. to get that location to follow the the aesthetic of the movie the design and you can't do that and a lot of times um, I would say indie filmmakers, amateur filmmakers don't think about, they don't think about it in that way as, mm -hmm. as a tool that can be used and altered to fit their movie. They think about it as an asset that they have yeah. and they have to use it as is. But I think, yeah. you know, if you're able to, um, you know, add a rug, um, uh, add wallpaper, like we said, or um like add some type of light fixture you know chandelier mm -hmm. whatever it's like add try to make it fit within the movie rather than just being something that works because it's all you have yeah find locations where it has things that you can't change like you said the architectural design of it and then change everything else that you can like that you can have control over um to make yeah. it fit um and then also uh bad props People will make their own props, um, and they just look really, really shitty. I mean, if you didn't know that, uh, 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 what was it? A um, the lightsaber was lightsabers were made from old handles of the flashbulb cameras, right. where the photographers would hold them and they the flashbulb would go off. That was what uh, lightsabers were made of, and, um. I think I remember there's another famous one where it's like a little robot is made from a garbage can or something like that. Right. And they made it work and they made it work. And you didn't even know, but other people will try and make their own props and they'll look so horrible. Um, they will look really bad. Um, yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with this idea that yes, the lightsaber props were made from an existing piece of a handle, mm -hmm. but they were then machined by a professional using yeah. like real machining tools and to a level of precision that like you trying to do in your garage, you may not be able to do, you may be able to do yeah. it if you, if you have that, uh, the tools and the talent and the skills to do that. But there is sort of a level of, especially when you're dealing with industrial sort of like uh, fabricated things, um, mm -hmm. like it's hard to get a certain level of smoothness when, if something's supposed to be like fiberglass, you know yeah um how how do you get that smoothness from something that you've made out of wood or um you know just like that type of stuff um and also knowing how to paint things to get mm -hmm. the look you want like having a having a metallic paint um that actually looks like metal rather than just like a silver paint that you put on something you know yeah i don't know all that yeah. kind of all those little details really um really stand out and yeah, but it's so funny that we talk about that, but then you know that the Michael Myers mask was just a William Shatner mask that they painted white and it's like, but that worked like it, it works for that. Um, so there are ways you could do it cheaply. You just have to make sure that you're doing it right. And it's all working out because if you do it, if you do it cheaply, but you can tell it's cheap, then it, it, you're just doing a disservice to your movie. Totally. And I also, Going back to production design for a sec, I think mm -hmm. one thing that really stands out to me a lot 
um, is when locations look like model homes. Yeah. You know, I think that happens a lot in, in things like lifetime movies or, Oh God. Yes. Or even, you know, low budget movies because what they've done is they've rented a place and Mm -hmm. it looks like a model home because, or like a, a hotel or something because the, person that owns it keeps it nice for people to stay in it's not meant Mm -hmm. to look good on camera or like looked lived in it's definitely not supposed to look lived in because you're renting it to like (laughs) stay there or whatever uh exactly and so it it just has this kind of like sterile or like uh model home vibe where it's like no one's ever slept in that bed you know (laughs) these are brand new sheets that you like Crisp. pulled. You can see like the 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 folds in it from when you, when you just like <laughs> unfolded it to put it on the bed. You know, like yeah. you just bought that at Target, like that type of stuff. <laughs> um, you know, really not shows up on look, camera. In. It's also the same with wardrobe. You know, yes, uh, like, like new wardrobe clean people, clothes. Yeah, they do a lot of cool stuff to make things look, you know, like you've owned them for a while. You know, putting like mm-hmm. sweat stains in things. Or having, um, um, I can know, help them in that department. I know I could too. My, oh um, man, we should we should start doing that. Offering our services oh my God. for movies. Yeah, we yeah. will give you sweat stains and all the clothes that you need for your movies. <laughs> we'll also stretch uh, them out for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, they also like they kind of wear down like hats and they wear down like clothes that so it's fraying a little bit to show that it's it's been lived like you said it's been worn it's been used. Yeah, and shoes, you know. They'll literally mm-hmm. go, they'll put shoes out in, in the sun and they'll fold them and crease them yeah. because, you know, having, there's nothing worse than having like a brand new pair of shoes. Uh, yeah. And it looking like they're brand new in your movie. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's about it. What do you, anything else you want to add? As you know, we just that, bashed think, every, every film out there that's done cheaply. I know. Well, the thing is, it's like in my mind to sum it up. Yeah. Um, like we said, most of these things come down to motivation. Even yeah. even when you're talking about the wardrobe looking worn, you have to mm-hmm. think about the reality of the scenario. Like, is the light motivated? Is is it motivated for this person to be wearing brand new clothes that you just bought? Yeah. Is it motivated yeah. for this prop to be brand new because you just bought it? Um, yeah. You know, etc. Like all these things, um, it all pretty much comes down to motivation at the end of the day. Yeah. And so I think if you can try to keep everything motivated and try to think about in the prep of your movie, what um, the quality of these things are supposed to be. Um, if you're talking about props with, with a person on your set, or if you're going out and buying it, like just thinking about how you're going to um, age it, wear it down to whatever level it's supposed to be at. You know, you don't have to like, not everything needs to be from like a Western town, like covered in dust or yeah. anything, but I'm just saying like, it doesn't need to look <laughs> brand new. Uh, a exactly. Little, a little scuffed up or whatever will go a long way. Um, and just having a little bit more care in those things that may seem like minutia um, at the end of the day, like while you're in it, but afterwards, they, I think all add up to make a, a huge impact. Absolutely. And we're not, we're not trying to bash films. We're just trying to give you four warnings of the pitfalls that a lot of these cheap films, not cheap, but low budget films make. And if you can avoid them, your film will just even, will just have a higher production value and look better and could possibly, you know, have a better chance of being sold if you did it independently um, or, you know, rented or video on demand um, or, or just uh, well received to give you that next job. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever exactly. you're trying to do with it. It's just, this is advice and like learn from the mistakes of others. Um, and hopefully those people who've made those mistakes in the past hear this and don't make those same mistakes twice. Um, yeah. we've all made those mistakes. Me and Alice exactly. have done it. Uh, oh, like it's, we're not, we're not saying that we're, we're, we're not guilty of some of these. Uh, we are, but we just try and make, take the time to make sure that we don't make them again, um, on every project moving forward. And then each project looks better and better. Exactly. And I think it's also important, um, for people to, not get so hung up on their own stuff to think that their shit don't stink, you know? Yeah, it's like exactly. Every time, I, every time we make something, we try to look back at it and learn something from it because there's no way we made something perfectly ever, right? Exactly. So, like, we look at it and, yes, we are probably our harshest critics. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. I don't know. Funbot might be our harshest critic. 
but um, Oof, fun bot, you're leading the pack there, buddy. <laughs> but um, we 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 like to look at at the things that we make and say, okay, you know, if I had to do that over again, I would have done this. Um, I would have done this. I would have done this. And then the next time we go out on a shoot, we have all those things in the back of our mind, and we say, okay, we need it. Like last time we did this, and it sort of messed us up a little bit. Um, and now we're going to adjust and try to, yeah. you know, make it better this time. And I think that's yeah. a healthy thing to do. And again, we don't mean to like bash, you know, I hope nobody feels attacked, hashtag triggered or whatever. Um, but Snowflakes. I, yeah, I think we're, uh, we're all guilty of it in one way yeah. or another. And we just need to look at our own stuff and with like honest eyes and say, how can we make this better? And that that's really the only way to continue to grow. Exactly. And, and, and so just take these to heart and remember the next time, remember if, if one of these things is in the back of your mind and you don't do it, uh, that's just a step in the right direction and growing as a filmmaker and getting closer and closer to making that perfect film that you think is, is the best you've made yet. Exactly. All right. All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. You can get the show notes for this episode by visiting nobudgetfilmmaking.com. And don't forget to, get, don't forget to head on over to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. And while you're there, give us a five-star rating if you want to hear more of this stuff. Yeah, that point eight that you're missing from that Stella really screwed you over. Oh my God. If you have any filmmaking questions, ask away in the comment section and we will try to answer them. <laughs> also, if you're in the giving mood, head on over to nobudgetfilmmaking.com slash beer and buy us more beer because we clearly need it. Also, Obviously. we'll give you a shout out in the next episode if you do so. Also, and don't forget to head over to fearlessfilmmakers.com to join our growing community of filmmakers and we will catch you guys next time. Later. Peace.